This afternoon, we'll be returning to our fifth Sunday series, that is, in months that have five Sundays. On that fifth Sunday, we divert from our usual schedule, which we've been diverting from for some special purposes. We shall be returning to our normal flow of things November 26th. I think that's the last Sunday in November. We'll be returning to our normal flow of things. I will be gone the, the 12th and the 19th, and Jonathan DeSena will be filling the pulpit on the 5th. So... <clears throat> Which are, of course, our fifth Sunday series is we're walking, we're talking about prayer, which is an expression of thanksgiving. Uh, we've been walking through uh, the disciples' prayer. Uh, it's also been called the, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we're going to be looking at Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 5 through 13, as we hear uh, this prayer for us. We'll also be looking at uh, reading from a passage in the book of Matthew. Uh, Also another passage in the book of Matthew. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then, of course, there's another part that's not listed here, but for, for your uh, that we see, you can see in the bottom of your text, maybe. But for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And also from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, which is related to this, and we'll be referencing this in a, uh, later today. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him, forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. 
And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let us go to the Lord prayer. Our father, we have heard your holy word and we ask that you'd help us today to receive it as such. Your word, your truth. Something that carries with it your authority. We ask, O Lord, that you would uh, take your word, plant it within us, do your good work in us, strengthen our faith and increase it. Mold us, O Lord, in the likeness of Christ. We ask that you'd guide this preacher, chain him to your word, that he might freely declare your truth with clarity and accuracy and understandably. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've walked through this prayer, we've looked at a number of uh, the different elements of this prayer. As a review, when we think of prayer, oftentimes we might think of it as something that is very difficult. Prayer is actually some of the most difficult things that we as Christians do. And oftentimes prayer becomes very guilt-inducing because uh, we feel we don't do it enough. And probably we don't do it enough. Or when we do it, we sometimes don't think we're saying the right things to the right, in the right ways at the right times. Oftentimes prayer is driven by a sense of law without any sense of grace. But when we looked at Psalm 116, verses 8 through 14, one thing that we saw in there was, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Well, how does he treat prayer there? What does he say? What uh, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? How shall I express my thanksgiving for his goodness to me? And what does he say? He says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. What does he say? I will ask him for more of the benefits that he's given to me. For he is a rich giver, a perfect and full giver, a, a, an overflowing well of wa- like an overflowing well of water with an infinite supply of water. And to try to add water to that well is an insult to the well. Rather, such a well is to be drunk, is to be is to be received from. Just as in our worship, when we gather together and even in our own personal lives, when we seek to honor him. We, in reality, are not, God is not gaining anything from us. Because God cannot gain. Because he's perfect and complete. He is honored, and that is all glory is reflected. But anyone, the ones receiving the gain are us. We're the ones who receive the gain. And so when we approach prayer, we look at it from this standpoint. This is a great privilege that we have that is an expression of thanksgiving, that is an expression of humility before our Lord. That, and as First Peter 5 says, because of his grace in Christ Jesus, that we should approach God 
and to lay all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. And as Hebrews says, to approach him with boldness. In, in this, in prayer, we're expressing dependence upon God. We're obeying his command. We're showing faith in God and, be, and expressing humility, which are all acts of thanksgiving. When we look at prayer, oftentimes we will approach it wrongly as to say, okay, if I'm going to pray, if I'm going to pray, I have to, in order for it to be a good prayer, it has to be at least 32 minutes and 46 seconds. If it's not at least that, then God is not pleased with my prayer. And that's oftentimes how we approach it, that I didn't pray long enough. I didn't say the right words or, or my words were not flowery or, or eloquent enough. <clears throat> when in reality, as we read in Matthew chapter 6, it has nothing to do with that. Prayer is simply going before the Lord and asking him for what things that asking for him, asking from him things that we need and things that are according to his will. I've told this story before, but uh, when I was a, a new believer, I was inspired by an Indian missionary who committed himself, missionary in India, who committed himself that he would get up at four o'clock in the morning every morning and he would pr- and he would pray for at least an hour and he would pray that the Lord would that would, through him bring at least one soul to Jesus Christ that day. And I think those are all noble aspirations and goals and desires. You can read his story. It's called by by, by the uh, man by the name of John Hyde. The name of the book is Pray, Praying Hyde. Robert Murray McChaney wrote the biography. <clears throat> but I was inspired by that. So I said, well, I can't get up at four. I'm going to get up at five and I'm going to pray for an hour. So I got up at five. The first morning I opened up my Bible. I read a little verse to give me some thoughts and said, our father, and about an hour and a half later, I woke up. While we should endeavor to pray well and accurately, it's not a matter of time limits or doing it at 5 a.m. It's simply a matter of doing it. It's simply a matter of doing it as a matter of thanksgiving. Nor is prayer full of formulas. That if we say the right words in the right orders, God will hear us. Like we will say, we have to end our prayer with the phrase, in Jesus' name. That's not a formula. It's actually a posture. To say in Jesus' name is to say I'm praying through the merits or, on a, or because uh, in Jesus' name is in his authority, in his merits. God is hearing us through Jesus Christ. And so we can pray without saying those words. Though, as I think it's good practice to remind us of that. And remembering that the Spirit of God is the one who takes our prayers and, and translates them according to the will of God. Because he himself is God. With those groanings that are that cannot be uttered. Matthew 6, 5 through 13, we just read. We see there's a number of different elements of that, which we've talked about. There's the address, which is to our Father in heaven. There's the petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Those are two petitions. The next petition, get your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. And the fifth petition, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or here it says debts and debtors in the ESV. And the last petition, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We have looked at the first four 
uh, petitions or requests already. Hallowed be your name, asking that his name would be honored in our lives and throughout the world. Your kingdom come, asking that his rule would be ever more present in our hearts, in our minds, that the gospel would become ever more real to us, that his spirit would influence us more and more. And for us as a church to be a people who have the gospel and cherish it, who rest in Christ and who are faithful in our love for Christ and that God's and that the offices of the church are filled and praying for the world that the word of Christ may go out from his people to every tongue, tribe, nation and people. Transferring people from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And also waiting for his return, asking, essentially also asking in this Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. We're also seeking that his will might be done on earth as it is in heaven, that he would work in accordance with his purposes in our life and that we would seek to do his will and more and more be conformed to the image of Christ as it is in heaven. Also asking for our daily bread. That is for bread, for it to be given for the day, for our daily needs. This leads us away from coveting and moves us towards contentment. Uh, Leads us away from hoarding everything to ourselves and being content in that which he does for us. As well as leading us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But uh, in that also is built in this idea that Jesus is the bread from heaven. He is the holy manna that the manna was pointing to. And so thus we are asking for Christ to be fed to us for our spiritual needs in Christ Jesus, who is our daily bread, to be met by the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we also we open up with our father, when we open up with our father in heaven, We're approaching God not as a cruel tyrant, but rather as a father who cares for his children. And he resides in heaven, meaning that he is outside, sits outside of the created order as an uncreated one and is not bound by the limits of creation and can do all that he pleases being in his own category. Plus also it doesn't say my father, but our father meaning that we're praying not as one who is isolated all by himself because Christianity is not about a bunch of people all living in their own little glass bubbles as individuals, but rather it is a corporate event, a community affair. We have been brought into union together in Christ Jesus as a big family. We're praying our Father. So today we're looking at this petition Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. When we look at this text, when we look at this, the straight language of the text, uh, we see a number of different, <clears throat> uh, we see a number of, uh, of things that we see. First of all, what we're asking for is we are asking for forgiveness. We're saying, forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven those, as we have forgiven our debtors. It also implies that there's something for which to be forgiven. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. 
There's also another element of that. In which it says, as we have forgiven our debtors. That is, there are those who who have crossed our, who have crossed us, just as we have crossed God. But their crossing of us is far of far less degree and far less significance, as we read in Matthew chapter 18, than the ways which we have crossed God. He, we have crossed him far greater than than they have crossed us. And thus it says, as we have forgiven our debtors, that there is a statement here with regards to forgiveness of others, both built in a request to help us forgive others as well built in a reminder that we need our sins forgiven. In as much as others have sinned against us, we need our sins forgiven. As always, I like doing a little bit of a historical survey of what uh, what the various different uh, confessions have said with regards to uh, this prayer and what it is teaching us. Um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what do we pray for in the fifth petition? It says in the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray that God for Christ's sake would freely pardon all our sins which we are the rather encouraged to ask because by his grace we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. So when we see that, what it is saying is that uh, we're asking God, it's, it's stating that we're asking God would freely pardon our sins and that we would for, be able to forgive others. The Westminster Larger Catechism reads something very similar but much longer which we don't have to go through um, in detail uh, yet. There's also the Heidelberg Catechism, which reads very similarly, uh, has very similar language. We're not going to, don't have to read it, and in part because I forgot to bring it with me. Um, (laughs) So, but it actually reads very similar. And then we also have, uh, there's also the, Others that you can look up if you want to read more about it. There's the Geneva Catechism, uh, which is John Calvin's catechism, catechism, and there's Luther's catechism, the shorter catechism. Uh, And again, a catechism is nothing more than a question and answer way of approaching the faith that was invented by Protestants, not Roman Catholics. It's a way of uh, internalizing the faith. And so while we look at this, we're asking for prayer that while we have been redeemed, And while we have been cleansed from our sin, the reality is that we still have plenty of remaining and indwelling sin. Now, one might ask, let's say that I happen to commit a sin and I'm not really necessarily aware of it. And I fail to and I don't get a chance to come to realization of it and ask for forgiveness of it. Does that mean if I were to die in the next moment that I would end up in hell? No, it does not mean that. Because if we were to ask individually for each and every sin we ever committed in a given day, there would not be enough time in a day. Even as believers. We sin all the time in every way. To varying degrees. But we are still full of indwelling sin. 
the point is here, recognizing that we are still, that we are not without sin. And going before the Lord and looking for His grace. Let's hear from John chapter 13, verses 12 through 20. This famous scene in which Jesus shocked his disciples and brought them in for what would typically be a meal. And there was a meal. But one thing he did is he uh, took off his outer garment and proceeded to grab a bowl of water, a towel, and got down on his hands and knees and washed his disciples' feet. Something that there's typically a servant to do, which Jesus was placing himself in the role of a servant. And there's a bit of a comical, if you will, um, interaction between Jesus and Peter when that occurs. Somewhat um, <clears throat> brings a smile and to see the ways that Peter reacted. He says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? <clears throat> uh, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. For, uh, for so I am, if I then your Lord and teacher wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Before that, we have in the account of, of John chapter 13, the actual interaction uh, with the feet being cleansed. And we see that uh, verses 1 through 11. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, <clears throat> Laid, uh, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that why he said, not all of you are clean. And then he gives the, the interpretation of that of just as I served you, you need to serve one another. But he gives us teaching w through the washing of the feet with regards to their, uh, their, their need of some sort of cleansing. Now, we see this interaction between Peter and Jesus. And Peter kind of reminds me of myself. Um, he's the kind of guy who would be, say, the skipper on a boat who has two speeds, zero and full steam ahead. And so... Uh, and kind of like me, it's either zero or full steam ahead. But Peter here, but P Peter says, no, what are you doing washing me? And he said, well, if I don't wash, you got nothing to do with me. Well, then pour it over me. He said, just your feet, because you're already clean. You've been cleaned by me. But as you walk now, 
you still have you still have your feet get dirty and you need to be cleansed and renewed just as first john tells us if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves but if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our cleanse and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness see we're already cleansed simply needing not to be reconverted so to speak but to have our hearts and our minds renewed in the gospel and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luther spoke of this in his own lengthy catechism, which really wasn't question and answers, it was all exposition. But in his larger catechism, he says, this part related, speaking of forgive us of our debts, this part, this part is related to our poor, miserable life, which although we have and believe the word of God and do submit to his will, and are supported by his gifts and blessings, is nevertheless not without sin. For we still stumble daily and transgress because we live in the world among men who do us much harm and give us cause for impatience, anger, revenge, etc. Besides, we have Satan at our back who who sets upon us every side and fights, as we have heard, against all the foregoing petitions. So it is not possible always to stand firm in such a persistent conflict. That is what he's saying. He said, even though we are believers, we still fail and we fail frequently. Thus, all the more reason to go before the Lord with this word. Forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Not needing to be reconverted or resaved, but to be renewed and reassured in the grace and knowledge of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, these words should be salve for the Christian conscience that is overcome with the guilt of our failures. That the Lord invites us to say, forgive us our sins, knowing that they have been forgiven. Our sins are forgiven even before we ask of Him. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Notice what we see here in Colossians. That having been buried with him, having been raised with him, we who were once dead in our trespasses and uncircumcised of flesh, God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. He doesn't say just some of them, but all of our trespasses. Forgiveness is ours in Christ Jesus through faith in him. It is ours of all of our sins. Also noting by by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. That is, there is no longer for the believer a legal demand condemning us. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For we have been set free from the law of sin and death. 
Romans 8, 1 and 2. What is the law of sin and death? It's this. You sin, you die. We've been freed from that law because that record of debt has been erased. It's not just record of some of the debt, but all of the debt. So this means when we go before the Lord and we say, forgive us of our debts, we go before him knowing full well they are forgiven. Knowing full well God is rich in grace and mercy and in abundance. Martin Luther again says, for he has given us the gospel in which is pure forgiveness before we prayed or ever thought about it. It's acknowledging our need of forgiveness. We're acknowledging our need of forgiveness, our need of the cross, our need of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. It's to recognize that we still have sin and that we are utterly bankrupt without the forgiveness of God that we have in Jesus Christ. And in so doing, when we go before the Lord and we say, forgive us of our debts, we are also saying this, when asking for that, we are accepting his forgiveness. We are accepting it. If we hold against ourselves that which God has already forgiven, we are placing ourselves in shoes we have no business filling. Now, that does not mean that there's, no, there's nothing to learn from our sin. That does not mean that there's no need to repent. That's what the Christian enters into, is a life of repentance. It's a matter of accepting that our sin has been forgiven for you and I my brothers and sisters we will never ever be in a position in this life in which we are not in need of the forgiveness of sins if God does not forgive without measure we are truly lost if God does not forgive without measure we are truly and completely lost as we mentioned earlier It's not a matter that if we don't ask for forgiveness for a sin, for our sins are so many that we could not possibly keep an accurate catalog. And so it's not a matter that if we don't ask for forgiveness for a sin and that we happen to say, oh no, I sin God and then we die. That we are now condemned for eternity. That's not what this is saying at all. It is that we must be continually returned to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, prayer is an act for the believer. And we oftentimes will look at the gospel as something, well, that's just for the beginning. I just need the gospel at the beginning. That gospel is for unbelievers. For believers, what we need is we need to be kicked in the pants and told and told over and over and over, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. When in reality, we need the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us his law to live and to as a pattern of life in thanksgiving to him. And yet in so doing. We see how far we are still falling short from the righteous standard of his law. 
and must be reassured of his grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. Must be reassured of his favor that he has for us because of Christ. And that is why we say, forgive us of our debts. Confessing our sin and asking for that which is already ours. That is forgiveness. We are asking for God to continue to deal with us graciously and to grant us a joyful and confident conscience before him. In a sense, more than in a sense, but in a sense, we're thanking God for giving us that which we truly deserve. For what we deserve is eternal condemnation. R.C. Sproul gave an illustration of that, of that in one of his seminary classes. And he tells the story that uh, he had a policy in a syllabus that no late papers accepted. One day late and it was an F. And so every, every semester some student would come forward so, or sometimes several students say, I couldn't get it done on time. I had this and this and this and this and that happened. And he said, well, it's an, uh, you saw the policy. It's an F. And then they would plead mercy. And they say, okay, I'll give you until two days to complete it. But you'll lose, like about, you'll, you'll lose a letter grade. Um, and that happened several times throughout the semester with the same students. And same th- every time he would do that. Came to the end of the semester. And the final paper was due. And, the same, and several of the same students didn't have the final paper. And the final paper, not, not turning that, means you fail the class. And so he said, you all fail the class. And he, they said, but can't we have more time? He said, no, there is no more time. And they said, well, that's not fair. And he said, oh, you want fair. And he opened up the grade book, said, okay, F, F. F, F to all those papers they had turned in late. Because that is what they deserved according to, this, according to the law of that classroom. What we deserve is eternal condemnation. But in these words, forgive us our debts, we're hearing this truth that Martin Luther uttered, which you'll hear from, you've heard me from before, and you'll hear it again. In which he said, when the devil whispers in your ear and says you're, you, you're, you're full of sin and desire and, and deserve death and condemnation in hell. He said, you look at the de- you, you go back to the devil and you say this. I admit I deserve death and hell, but what of it? I know one Jesus Christ, son of God, who made satisfaction for my sins and where he is there, I shall be also. That is one thing we're, we're seeing in this truth of forgive us of our debts. And we're seeing that we still have need. There's an additional part of this. That is, as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who tres- have trespassed against us is the older language. Forgiving others is a thing that points us to what God has done for us. That is, inasmuch as we forgive, we are pointed to the forgiveness that is ours in Jesus Christ. 
That is illustrated in Matthew chapter 18, in which we read. Matthew 18, we saw the story of the servant, of the man who owed the king a lot of money. I believe the amount is the equivalent of <clears throat> the equivalent of uh, prob- of what a typical billionaire might have in holdings. Something you and I could never pay off. Something he could never pay off. But and so he and so the the master was going to throw him in prison until every last cent had been paid, meaning that he was going to spend the rest of his days in 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 that prison but he pled for mercy and the master released him and forgave him the debt but that same servant forgot that forgiveness or neglected it for when someone came to him owing the equivalent of about a hundred bucks he said you pay me all that you owe and when he couldn't pay he threw him in prison now the master heard about that And said, woe unto you. For he did not remember that great thing that had been done for him. When we look at the offenses that come against us. We oftentimes will view them as infinite offenses. When in reality our one single sin that we might commit against God is far more infinite, is actually infinite because of the fact that God's holiness is infinite. So thus, the little offenses that come against us are pitiable compared to our own sin. And to not forgive one who sins against us is to spit in the face of God's forgiveness. We might say, as it might be on the question of our minds, does this mean that our forgiveness then of others merits for us God's forgiveness? No. It's saying, in, the, in another way of saying, in the same way we forgive those who sin against us, forgive us. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But Calvin says of this, by no means. For in this way, forgiveness would not be free nor founded alone on the satisfaction which Christ made for us on the cross. But as by forgetting the injuries done to ourselves, we, while imitating his goodness and clemency, demonstrate that we are in fact his children. God wishes us to confirm it by this pledge that in our forgiveness, we are it is a confirmation of his grace in us. Again, The foundation of our assurance is Christ upon the cross. That is, is God pleased to save those who trust in Christ? The answer to that question is yes. That is our assurance. A confirmation of our assurance is that. Is this, that we forgive others even though we do it imperfectly And even though we have to go back to doing it sometimes over and over and over again, because it's so hard to let go of things at times, a continual process. We also look at our immediate text. Matthew chapter six, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, Neither will your father forgive 
your trespass. Now, the way that reads is a very difficult thing to translate. Um, and the only reason, and uh, not the only reason, but someone actually wrote to me about six months ago who's going to preach on this and asked me for my thoughts on, on the Greek, that, on something that was going on in the Greek in that text. And I had never taken note of that. But there's a word there that says if. Now, here's a little bit of Greek grammar nerdiness. That's what we call a third-class conditional clause. Okay? Which means it's laying out a, it's laying out something like this. An expectation. But perhaps you do not forgive others their trespass. What expectation do you have of forgiveness for yourself? What assurance do we have of forgiveness for ourselves if we refuse to forgive others? A good way, so a way to read that. If you do not forgive people their sins... Why should we ourselves rejoice in the assurance of forgiveness for ourselves? You see, we rob ourselves of that when we refuse to forgive others. And in fact, we demonstrate at a a minimum, we are very young and immature and don't grasp it. And at the worst, that we really don't understand and know the forgiveness of God. Because we think very, we might be thinking very highly of ourselves. And sometimes it may have to be this, Lord, I am really struggling to forgive this person. And I know I need to help me, help me forgive. Because what someone has done to us is far less than how we have crossed God. And to refuse to forgive one for that is to completely forget what God has done for us. I've heard a story of a man who went to a pastor and the pastor told me this story that there's an elderly man in his church who um, had had an ongoing feud with someone with whom he hadn't talked to in years and he held on to the way he had been crossed for many years and he cut himself off from his relationship with that person because of the way he had crossed him. So the pastor called him in and said, I understand you have this dispute and it's really, and I'm really concerned about you because you need to forgive him. He said, oh, you don't know how bad it was. And he said, why don't you tell me about it? Why don't you tell me about it? He says, well, I can't remember what it was, but it was really bad. That's really what it often amounts to. And also in forgiving others, we are giving a testimony of our own forgiveness and our understanding. And I've shared this with you before, but I had a friend at my church in Dallas where I pastored. Um, His name is Wayne, and he had been taken under his wing, a young man who reached at who had come to the church a few times but wanted some discipleship and instruction and had been to and Wayne had taken him under his wing and was going through some reading material with him and uh, but he also had some struggles with uh with money and finances and um he uh went to Wayne and said I in order to keep my job I need to get my car fixed my tires fixed because they're they they failed and I and I don't have the money could you help me he said yeah 
We'll t- we'll, uh, he said, here, take my credit. He trusted him. Take my credit card. Go down to discount uh, the tire store. Remember what it was. Put on a new set of tires. So and so did that. Spent, it was about $500 or so. But then all of a sudden, on his, on a, he, got no, he got notifications of about $1,400 in expenses on his card. Well, it turned out this young man had other needs, and he just took the number and bought some stuff online and everything like that. And he called him on it, and he said, I'm sorry, I was just in great need. He said, okay, well, let's, you know, let's keep meeting. I don't want this to be a, a break between us. We'll, we'll set you up on a way you can pay me back. But this man stopped meeting with him. He said he, and he didn't come anymore. And he said, what, what's going on? So he reached out and said, I haven't seen you in months. I said, well, let's keep meeting. He said, well, I just can't face you because of what I did. Wayne said, is that all it is? Is that all it is, really? You don't, you don't owe me the money anymore. It's forgiven. Come back. And so he did. And that's what's been done for us. And so let us forgive others too and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remembering this, forgiving others confirms our assurance. So brothers and sisters, we have great reason to go before our Lord and say, forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Knowing that that which we have done is already forgiven. It's a matter of accepting this forgiveness. And let us do so, extending that forgiveness to others and asking God to help us to forgive others. Even if it means going every day back to him, I'm having trouble with this one. Asking the Lord to help us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you that Jesus lived for us and died for us and rose from the dead for us. By his grace, we've been redeemed. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us to keep going to you, recognizing our own sinfulness and need of refreshing and renewal and confirming of our assurance. And help us, O Lord, to forgive others. Help us to forgive others, O Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.